revolutionize your recruitment strategy with AIMHR Solutions. Headquartered in the heart of Massachusetts, our dynamic team offers cutting-edge recruiting services tailored to meet the needs of HR professionals anywhere. Say goodbye to the endless cycle of candidate searches. Let our seasoned experts streamline the process for you. With a deep understanding of industry trends and a vast network, we're here to connect you with top-tier talent. Explore the possibilities of our recruitment services at aimhrsolutions.com. Welcome to Human Solutions, simplifying HR for people who love HR from AIMHR Solutions on True Story FM. I'm Pete Wright. Are you thinking about launching and leading a diversity, equity, and inclusion council in your workplace? This week, we're going to help you do just that. I'm sitting down with Reed Tomahara, Basundra Sangar, Gaten Kashala, and Terry Cook as they share their personal stories, successes, and challenges in bringing diversity councils to today's organizations and the power these councils have to drive meaningful change. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. Our guests today come from across the ranks of Associated Industries of Massachusetts. Uh, a quick roundtable of introductions before we get started. Reed Tumahara serves as Chief of Staff and manages the Office of the President and CEO. Hi, Reed. Hi, Pete. Vasundra Sangar serves as AIMS Vice President of Governmental Affairs. Vasundra, hello. Hi, Pete. Thanks for having us. Excellent. And Gaten Kashala serves as AIMS Engagement Director. Hi, Gaten. Hey, Pete. And Terry Cook serves as AIMHR's <laughs> Senior Vice President of Employer Services. Hi, Terry. Hi, Pete. Today on the show, our hope is that this panel is able to offer not just background and purpose for creating a diversity council in your own organization, but to give you the takeaways and recommendations to empower you to create a more inclusive workplace yourself. To get us started, Reed, I'm going to turn to you. Why a diversity council? What role does this council serve in the organization and what does it actually do? Ames DEI journey started about five or six years ago, looking at the organization as a whole. The DEI council sort of came out of that, um, started in, we had our first meeting in May of 2021, um, but the planning for it started probably about six months before that. Um, John Regan, our president and CEO, in collaboration with Juliet Mayers, our DEI consultant for AIM, got together and wrote a charter for the AIM staff diversity, equity, and inclusion council. In doing so, they collaborated with senior senior leadership and the senior staff about what it would look like. Vasundra Gayton and myself were asked individually if we wanted to sort of chair this staff council. I think the goal and purpose of the council is really to create an inclusive workplace at AIM, but also to embrace the diversity at AIM as well for the staff members, as well as holding AIM accountable to the commitments it has made in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space as an organization. So yeah, I think that's how and why I think the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Council was started here at AIM. You know, we have this this thing uh, on this show. We have this fictitious manufacturing organization that we sometimes bring up, and it is as yet unbranded, unnamed, but boy, does it have an awesome HR department. And one of the things we like to ask is, in our fictitious manufacturing organization, what would the DE&I council serve? What purpose would it serve? What would it do day to day to help the organization? And I don't know, I, Reed, if you want to hand that question off to 
to someone else on the on the panel, Gaten or Vasundra. I'm really curious, what does it look like to move this council into operations? Um, I could start, um, but, bef- but um, before passing it off to Gaten or Vasundra, I would just say that it really is a place for staff members of AIM to come together to talk about issues, news, current events, um, things that are happening in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space, and actually to really explore um, parts of their identity that maybe are not critical to the to the work that you're really that that we do every day on a daily basis for AIM. But if we want to bring out our full self to the workplace to be productive to be effective, I think it provides a space for us to have honest conversations as well as being a little bit vulnerable. Well, this might be a, a great opportunity to transition to Gaten and Vasundra and talk about just sort of uh, best practices that go into building a diversity council. And maybe this is the segue, right? In terms of what the council does every day, how do you build the council to achieve those goals? I think I can piggyback right off of um, Reed's most recent statement. So yes, perfect segue. Um, and um, it being like a very personal topic. And so it being um, uh, a very... It's, it's bringing your whole self to work and making sure that um, whatever's going on out on the outside world, especially as we've seen the past couple of years, the, the pandemic itself, not to be the first one to bring up the pandemic, um, really drove everybody home. And um, your work life, your home life became one thing. And then at the same time, the whole world seemed to be uh, just kind of changing. And uh, all these uh, inequities that did exist did get so further exacerbated in the news and in everything we were watching. The murder of George Floyd happened in 2020. Uh, Breonna Taylor was killed in 2020. And um, everybody was at home and really in a place of of some people surprised, some people, you know, they depending on who you are, it's a very different experience. Um, And then having to come back together to work, kind of reintroducing yourself to the differences that you bring to the table, I think as a, from a personal level, it was really helpful to know that our um, leadership at AIM was already um, taking charge of, of acknowledging the differences that, that make up our employee base and wanting to, uh, to expand that and understanding that opportunities exist that aren't as accessible to folks, depending on their area codes, depending on their zip codes within Massachusetts and beyond. And how can we start from our own neighborhoods to start addressing these discrepancies, addressing what we're seeing on the, in the outside world uh, from work, where we do end up spending most of our time, especially when work and home became one place. We, we did have to build towards it, I guess, is what I'm saying, is that the first couple of meetings, folks were very quiet. Folks weren't really into sharing um, anything, not really sure what was safe to say and what was okay to say and didn't want to be offensive all the, all the normal um, all the normal things that you would you would expect when you're approaching something so sensitive for the first time um, but creating that space making sure that folks had the ability to bring their experiences from life into the workspace was uh, was really important for us and um, building that did take some time did take um, buy-in from leadership thankfully we did have our CEO and our uh, external consultant Juliet again um, pulling that stuff together for us from, from the top down. And, um, otherwise it was just really good to make sure that we, uh, we had, we had that space, uh, built out and we, had to take that time to build that trust, I think, amongst members of the council. Gaten, as engagement director, you uh, are seeing people from or seeing organizations from all across the the Massachusetts, I imagine, right? Community by community. Uh, I'm I'm really curious as you talk about your perspective on on uh, you know building 
toward a, a, a smart diversity, equity, inclusion council, how those community by community cultural norms end up being challenged to Vasundra's point, when home and work become one, where home is suddenly matters and what that community's perspective on these issues happens to be starts to really matter more than maybe it did before. What do you think about all this? That's really a, a great point. AIMS uh, DEI Staff Council, uh, one of our principal responsibilities is really to hold the organization accountable for its its uh, DEI commitments, as Reed was laying out. Now, we we are unique in that we are a member organization, right? So our, our goal encompasses both in, internal, like Reed, uh, you know, the Terry, uh, uh, V, and I, uh, and uh, efforts to advance uh, DEI uh, within the organization. But also, importantly, uh, a big part of what we do is. Um, helping uh, our member organization, our member companies also uh, embrace uh, uh, DEI. And, you know, what we found is to, to be one of the, the, the most critical al- uh, elements to securing that buy-in is ensuring that DEI strategy is tied to current business goals and objectives, right? So what what is the business case around um, uh, implementing uh, 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 some of these programs. So, so, so that that's uh, the kind of the the internal versus external dichotomy of what we're looking to accomplish uh, um, as as a council. Um, uh, some of the important lessons learned, or or uh, best practices, at least in in my mind, um, it was at, at the outset raising awareness about the existence of the council. You know, um, the, the, what we were looking to accomplish. Uh, both internally, externally, um, you know, having an understanding that this is important to the organization. It wasn't just kind of a short-term response to George Floyd. It was it was it was uh, um, an initiative that uh, um, you know there's executive sponsorship for, uh, and it, it's tied to real goals, goals and objectives. So so you know, raising that awareness was critical to recruitment. You know, we wanted to um, really have a cross section of the organization, both from a function um, perspective, right? We have people in there for marketing, government affairs, um, in the membership department. Um, yeah, so, so there's that cross-functionality um, as well as, you know, uh, um, rep- representatives from different levels of the organization. We've got, you know, our executive leadership, you know, in the council as well as, um you know, uh, entry level uh, employees. So, you know, generating that awareness, you know, recruiting people in there, and then it's about the day, the day to day, you know, month to month activity of the council. And just to uh, re- reiterate, echo what V said about you know the importance of creating a, a safe space. I, I believe that that was really critical to establishing the trust that's necessary to have the type of conversations um, that, that that we need to have here. And you know, we started, we kicked off our meetings with um, a, you know statement of guiding principles you know, that we, uh, we'll get into a little bit uh, as, as we continue this conversation. But that was that that was really helpful in establishing just kind of that foundational that the foundation for uh, the the. the staff council to, to begin its operation and really begin setting goals and execute on some of those goals. 
I'm I, I'm curious from the perspective of you know I I think Vasundra you brought up you know George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and I I think uh, all of those events anytime you have a racially motivated or racially impacted uh, event of violence it makes more explicit that which was already so implicit that we need to have these kinds of conversations and to your point Vasundra to bring our whole selves to work um, because those things are are. Uh, inextricable right now, right? The the work and home. But I I would ask what you say to critics who say, look, work is work. Home is home. Just do your job. Why do you need a safe place to just do your job? What do you say to those uh, who, who are critical of the efforts to build a DEI council? I think that it makes I, I think it makes complete sense. I understand that we're not going to always have complete buy in on an, on anything, really, when it comes to changing um, the way structures have long been established, especially the workplace and that work life balance that everyone's trying to strike. Um, so, uh, first of all, I would say I understand where you're coming from, but the world is a different place. It's definitely not what it used to be where you can just take what's given to you and to, and just go back to, you know, back home and, and, and face it there. It's, um, the whole world is much smaller place. Everyone's way better connected. We have the internet, we have technology, we know what's going on around the world. We have each other to connect with and to speak with. And we're all really here. We're actually, when I go to work, I'm not just talking to, you know, people that don't exist outside of work. We, I could, we know we, people are right here and this is where change starts from. And it's, you know, I would want to know from their perspective too. And I think that's a really big part of having a DE&I council. And one of my favorite things that we keep being reminded of is that uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and inclusion means everybody. So inclusion means even the the perspectives that don't agree with you, even the perspectives that aren't sure about what it is that you're trying to do and trying to bring them into that conversation, not so much to change their mind, but also just to maybe expand everybody's perception of what it is that's going on. So we definitely try our best not to shut out any critics, um, but understand that there will be some um, who won't think that this is um, maybe the the, the the first thing their companies need to be doing. But at the end of the day, we do also, if you want to talk about, uh, you know, this being a good case for business, we have endless countless studies saying that the more diversity that does exist within your employment, within your networks, um, the more successful your business is going to be, the more perspectives you can bring to the table, the more people you can answer to that translates into the more people you can answer to if it comes to a product you're selling or a service you're trying to provide. And the more diversity that exists within your employment, hopefully translates into, um, the leadership of your companies and who's actually calling the shots into where we're going to take this and what next steps are going to be happening. And that's, uh, I mean, I think all of us have met at least one Gen Zer in our lives. And I don't think, uh, I don't think they're going to be backing down from, from this, uh, this, this charge. And I'm, I'm proud to see what they're doing. And I'm glad that uh, there's room for that. Um, but yeah, I guess I would say D E and I, the I means inclusion. So we do include people that wouldn't agree. Let's uh, continue having these conversations. And I think, Pete, just to echo on what Vasundra was just saying as well, um, you know, it is a reality that employees are looking for a sense of belonging in the workplace. If you look at a lot of the articles and studies out there, you'll see if somebody doesn't feel like they belong at their workplace, it's one of the biggest reasons they leave the workplace. So I think as as Vasundra and Gaten and Reed have already said, it's important to create that environment for your employees to feel like they can be heard and that they belong in the company and the company not only respects it, but embraces it. 
and it it just helps for that retention and in my in my opinion and experience in human resources it's a competitive marketplace out there where uh, uh, you know job seekers have uh, greater agency in terms of where they want to you know uh, work you know where they're looking to spend their time and, and their resources so um, you know it, 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 it's our belief that the more kind of uh, inclusive of an organization you are you're going to be um, a better position to uh, attract some top talent there. Um, so I, I, I'll turn attention to challenges and roadblocks, and I think this is for both uh, uh, Gaten and, and Reed to talk, talk about the addressing the what I think I, I in my head I'm categorizing them as both the sort of internal administrative challenges or the the sort of productivity challenges to getting a board going like this, and then the uh, the the cultural challenges to overcome in in getting a board like this going. Uh, how would you like to as, to address? overcoming some of these challenges and, and getting things moving smoothly. You were talking about the cultural um, challenges of starting a council like this. I always remember a piece of advice that our consultant, Julia Mayers, gave us was that one third of the people um, in your organization will be totally for a type of commitment and group like this and would be willing to lean in to do, to do a lot of work for it. Another third would just be sort of passive of the initiative um, would hear it, but not necessarily be the first one to jump in and be like real for it. And then there's another third that sort of actively, or actively resists, but maybe actively so- tries to distance itself themselves from from it. And I guess to sort of take it through what Vasundra was saying about it means we're trying to include everybody. We're still going to offer if you would like to join. Um, now and maybe two or three years from now when maybe some things have changed in your life or your your mindset has changed and but you're still going to be welcome in to be a part of this conversation and so at the beginning when we first asked the staff to uh staff members to join we we did get a lot of people who were wanted to jump in and help and be a part of it and then and we have a good uh cross-section of the organization uh across as Gaten said, all across all diversities of the organization, that's great. Um, but we always want to be trying to bring in more, bring in those people who are sort of passive or the people who are actively distancing themselves. And if they never do, that's okay. I think it's just a matter of the door is always open for them to be a part of this conversation. Yeah, uh, you know, 100% agree with what Reed is saying. And, and you know, uh, recruitment, especially at this point where, you know, there's been some turnover, you know, some people have left the company. Uh, so it's it's um, uh, about just, you know, uh, working as best as we can to, to raise awareness around the organization as to the operation of the DI staff council and, and, and uh, presenting it really as an opportunity for, uh, you know, our colleagues to, to have some agency uh, in, in terms of um, diversity, equity, inclusion, um, access uh, at, at AIM. So, you know, it, it, we are, uh, yeah, yes, you know, we're having conversations last year. Uh, we kind 
kind of defined it as, as the year of learning, right? But, but uh, this year we're, we're really moving towards implementation. Um, we implement through a subcommittee process. Right? So, uh, you know, within the, the council, there, there are three separate subcommittees, a people subcommittee that's focused on internal um, uh, administration. There's a membership subcommittee that's focused on, on our members and, and trying to make sure that AIM as an organization is reflective of the diversity that exists in the Commonwealth. So, you know, let's apply that same lens when trying to identify, you know, which members to target, you know, how do we support our members? Uh, what kind of training and resources can we provide to equip them with, uh, you know, the, the, the skill sets to, to, to uh, be even more um, diverse and equitable and inclusive. And then uh, the third uh, subcommittee is on the policy side of, of things. You know, how can AIM utilize its voice in Massachusetts to uh, really uh, bring about and ensure that its policy positions are in alignment with, uh, you know, um, uh, DEI uh, and, and advancing uh, towards that? Two additional questions. Uh, one, how many people are on the council total representation? I would say it's around 15. 15. Okay. Do you, after last year, year of learning, or do you have a level of confidence at this point in the function of the uh, organization, of the, the council, to be able to go to member, engaged member companies and say, look, we're doing this. We can be a role model to, to you. Uh, are, are you at a point where you can move from the year of learning to the year of, let's just say, teaching? Yeah, yeah, yes, I, I, I believe so. And, and it's, it's teaching, it's, it's exchange and best practices, because, you know, one of our guiding principles when, when we kick this thing off is recognizing that, you know, everyone within the council, um, you know, our members you know, are coming from a different level of uh, lived experience, as well as knowledge and expertise uh, to engage these, these very difficult topics. So, um, you know, a- after the year of learning, I, I, I feel confident, um, especially given uh, some of the resources uh, that exist at, at the organization, Terry and her team and the learning and development opportunities, um, that, that we can engage in, in these types of conversation and in these types of partnerships, because this is, you know, really a tough, uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a tough mission and, and you're doing it within an environment where you have your day job, uh, you know, but you're, you're integrating this as an equally important uh, aspect of the job and, and the executive sponsorship from John Regan, who's also on the council, our CEO, is uh, helpful towards that end. Well, and, and I should just add uh, for listeners in the show notes, you'll find a link to the podcast episode that we did last season with John and Juliet, and they're both fantastic in talking about exactly this, uh, turning on executive leadership to inspire uh, the the function of, of DE&I across the organization. And with that, I, I turn to you, Terry. I, I think what I'm hearing, and as usual, please stop me when I start lying, uh, as usual, it seems like this explicitly should not be an HR function. This should not be something spearheaded by HR. And yet, here you are, HR. How does HR work with DEI and and support and embrace and extend these initiatives? Thanks, Pete. Yeah, I think collaboration is important. I do think a lot of times it may start with human resources if smaller organizations don't have a dedicated area for that a focus is on DEI. Um, but, you know, I think our company is a prime example. We don't have somebody that is focused on DEI full time, as everybody's mentioned here, but we have a really great group 
that chooses to work and focus together. And again, that collaboration makes a difference. So as a company, we're creating that right space and environment for our employees, even though we can't engage a full-time person on this one specific topic. So collaboration with human resources and anybody else in the organization that might be interested in the DEI initiative, I think is, is important. It can't be always just a one person thing. I think one of the things that everybody has echoed is the the great support we've had from the leadership. You know, anytime you have any initiative at all in an organization, if you don't have the support of the leadership, it doesn't it doesn't move forward the way it needs to. And we're just very fortunate that we have that support and we have a great group of people that have a passion and a belief in DEI that want to move it forward in the organization. Transitioning for you from this sort of big umbrella of leadership support to practical day-to-day, you know, thinking that goes into DEI for HR. What are you doing at our fictitious manufacturing organization, Tara? Okay. You're the I de facto think, leader of this company. I, I, don't I am, evidently. That, right? I don't yeah. know when that happened, Pete, but yeah, sure. But it was just now. Uh, <laughs> just now. Great. Thank you. Um, no, I think it is about creating, looking at the entire space. So the entire space means even beyond the, the workplace. So as um, I believe it was Gayton mentioned, people that are, are looking for jobs or, or candidates of any kind are actually looking at a company, all of the social media, everything the company's involved in way before they're even applying for the job itself. So I think it's important to start there to create that environment that shows that the company believes in this. The company has a culture that they're dedicating people to in order to make it an inclusive environment for everybody. So I do think from an HR standpoint, it's it goes certainly beyond policies or procedures of any kind. It's really starting with the face of the company um, to an external person. And then that external person can quickly become an applicant. And then when it starts to become to that point, It's important that the company shows that it's not words on a website. It's not words in a job advertisement. It's how we live our lives with each other every day at the company. And that's where human resources can always get involved. Um, As I mentioned earlier, if somebody doesn't feel they belong at a company, it's, it's one of the biggest reasons they'll leave. So if you try to sell somebody ahead of time about being a real diverse, um, a DNI company, an inclusive environment, and then when they get there, they don't see that or they don't feel that they, they can leave as quickly as they came. So it's really important to make sure that the entire group, whether it's through hiring, interviewing, training, onboarding, any type of environment, we have to make sure that everybody feels like we are living that day to day in order to really be successful in that initiative. I uh, want to turn to Vasundra uh, again, it, your role in government affairs. Uh, I am curious how, you know, we, we've talked to, uh, to Gaten, we've talked to Terry about HR and engagement with employee organizations. How then does uh, your effort toward DE&I and, and building a sound council translate into role model advocacy for some of these issues? Is that how front of mind is that for you as you go into this next uh, year in this next cycle. Definitely. Thank you for the question. I think that um, it was one of the toughest things for me. As Gaten uh, mentioned, we do have like the three subcommittees: the people, the membership, and the um, government affairs. Reed heads our people subcommittee. Gaten heads membership. And um, as um, as the 
representative from the government affairs team uh, co-chairing the council. I chair our um, policy subcommittee on the council. And um, it was definitely a very daunting, uh, I think, mission that was given to me initially where I was like, okay, so I take what is a business organization and a trade organization, and I try to encourage our membership and the folks that that push our policies and our agendas to include DE&I and how does one person do that all on her own? And so it was a very uh, interesting experience. But um, again, th- thanks to the leadership that we got from Juliet, our, um, our consultant, um, external consultant, I really was able to, to hone in that this isn't a one person job and it never will be. And that there are organizations that exist that do already apply this diversity, equity and inclusion lens to the economy and to how businesses run and operate. We have the Black Economic Council of Massachusetts, BECMA. We have um, Conexion um, that helps um, Latinx leaders and uh, Latinx uh, businesses uh, find better footing. The, there's the Boston Women's Workforce Council. There's um, the Women's Edge. There's lots of groups that we have the LGBTQ Chamber of Commerce that's also based in Massachusetts. And um, it's honestly all about expanding your network and expanding the folks of people you have that come to the table to make these decisions with you um, and making sure that when it comes to specifically policy um, oriented decisions that the, the company is going to make, that we have as many voices and perspectives um, that are providing their insights on, well, this is what will be feasible for us and maybe not feasible for another uh, entity or another way that other folks run or uh, what's more accessible in terms of funding and grants um, and business resources for one type of business versus another. And why is that historically the case? I don't have to go out there and find that. There's folks that are talking about that. I just have to make sure we're connected with them. Well, I, I, to your point that, that I mean, if there's if there's one thing that I can take away from this conversation is that it's not a one person job. and and that- that key learning, particularly because of where AIM sits in the overall Massachusetts economy, is incredibly valuable, right, to engage members and engage policymakers and engage everyone in this uh, in this issue to elevate and extend and, again, make what was implied explicit. I, it's incredibly powerful. Read to you. What are your next steps? What do you see as, as coming in this in this next year uh, for the council? I think Gaten put it really well with our year of learning and then a year of implementation. Um, And I think looking forward, I think a lot of the value that the council brings is, I think, to the the council members themselves when they do their day-to-day job functions. For example, um, for myself, sometimes if we need like catering for an event or an office event or for a meeting, like we can be looking at diverse suppliers from the beginning um, just because we've done business with a maybe a larger majority company for years doesn't mean that we cannot bring in a diverse business to do so. And I think that the value that I hope that the other council members see is that all these little, there's all these little things that the diversity, equity, and inclusion lens can be applied to. Um, and I think that it's like there's just so many aspects of the internal operations of AIM that sort of have been moving in that direction. But I think that moving forward, it could be even more of a, hey, do we really, do we think about this? Can we think about this in a different way? Is there a way to be more inclusive, not from, um, for our staff members, um, for our different staff members, as well as for our members um, and, and the community partners or 
as Vasanjan said, there's so many there's so many other organizations working on similar things and in the business community space. So why can't we, why can't we think about things a little bit differently? I think is is where I want to go in this next next year and beyond. You know, we we need to celebrate and recognize the achievements. You know, the things that that we've accomplished. One of the most useful exercises that I think we engaged in as a council was um, helping to prepare a report of all of AIM's DEI activities that was going to go to our board of directors. So it was just working across the organization. Once again, the importance of that that cross functionality to hear. Oh, we were doing this, we were doing this, and then collecting it in one place and then taking a look. And you know, it it really uh, was a tangible record of how we of the of what we've done to advance uh the uh at aim it's fantastic and it is it's just really exciting it makes me just sort of long for maybe year 15 of the dei council where we can we don't have to worry so much about teaching because these behaviors and policies are so deeply ingrained into uh every department and to to read perspective, like this whole idea that we're applying a DEI lens to things we've never applied a DEI lens to, not because we didn't think we could, but because we didn't know to try. Uh, it, it's just a lovely message that comes off of this council and the work that you're doing. I have possibly the hardest question for you. I don't know who's going to take me up on it. Where do you want people to go to learn more about what you're doing? I think from the, you know, from the HR's perspective, you know, AIM HR Solutions website, as as was mentioned earlier, we have a lot of great uh, learning opportunities, training opportunities there. Um, and then uh, certainly can turn it over to either Reed Vasunder or Gayton on, on the AIMnet site. Definitely. We, I know we have um, uh, information on our website that also is uh, completely adhered to what it what AIM is doing for D, in, in terms of our DE&I work and a lot of our um, AIM Business Connect work and supplier diversity uh, resources um, definitely exist. And I would feel absolutely um, more than happy to answer any questions that anybody might have if they want to reach out to any one of us personally. Um, it was a great experience. Like Aiton said, I also want to thank my teammates and Terry and the team at HR Solutions for being such um, such willing and ready partners. Uh, uh, it does take a village and um, any kind of questions that anyone has that we can answer, um, I'm definitely available. And, and, and this is something I think we're all passionate about at this point. So we'd be very happy to answer any concerns. And I think the last point I would like to make is um, sometimes it's just the the concept of a DE&I council, given that it's called Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Council, that might make it uh, feel too daunting or too impossible for a company such as our fictitious manufacturing company to want to to approach. But um, it doesn't necessarily even have to be called a DE&I council. It really can just be a space for for other people that work for your company and contribute to your growth every day to feel comfortable being um, not just their professional selves or not just their complete work selves. Um, just a safe space, an open, an open environment, um, any kind of a council that um, can encourage that kind of collaboration and communication between colleagues, I think uh, will, will ultimately be a good thing. Wonderful, wonderful. And thank you for bringing back our fictitious manufacturing organization. They, really count, they count on your support. Uh, so <laughs> we appreciate that. And thank you, everyone, for downloading and listening to this show. We appreciate your time and your attention. As always, you can find the links and notes about the show at amhrsolutions.com. You can listen to the show right there on the website or subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you find your finer podcasts. On behalf of Reed Tomahara, Basundra Sangar, Gaten Kashala, and Terry Cook, I'm Pete Wright, and we'll catch you next week right here on Human Solutions, simplifying HR for people who love HR.